The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Uh, struggling with an addiction, uh, in the words of uh, Stephen Wright, I'm addicted to placebos. I'd give them up, but it wouldn't make much difference. Thanks for joining me here. Doctor is in E-Person Monday, the variant, the Monday variant. For the most part, every once in a while we don't have this variant. I will step into the studio and take your questions via the phone lines. But there are so many e-persons coming in from every direction that I do my very best to either give a quick answer somehow, some way. Somebody will say, do you know anyone in a certain area that would um, respect my Catholic worldview in therapy? That's a big one. Get a lot of those. I'd say maybe 20% of those. I refer them to a couple of websites. Some say, are you familiar with this book? At which I say, no. Some say, do you have a book? At which I say, yes, of course. Of course I do. Here's where you get it. I'd say the bulk, probably 50% of them, yeah, probably, would say this is a situation that I'm experiencing. And there's two reasons why they don't call the program. One is that they say people they know listen. And they don't want to call. Actually, there's three reasons. That, that's probably the most common one. The second one is that they are writing because they watch the TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray on EWTN. And they are not familiar with the radio show. They're in a place where they uh, don't think to get the EWTN app or any one of their local affiliate apps. You don't know about that. So they just figure if they're not in an affiliate area... They are not aware of Catholic Radio because I will say to them, can you call the program? I can ask some questions. And they say, what program? Uh, should I call on Saturday night when it airs? And I'm thinking, no, you're, you're, you're talking the TV show. Uh, there, is a th- <laughs> there is a third reason. I've gotten this one before where they'll say, I would like for you to answer my question via an email because I'm busy during the day. <laughs> I've gotten that one. <laughs> Sometimes they tell me what they're busy with, and other times they just give me the generic, I'm busy. <laughs> I could write back and say, well, I'm too busy to answer. I don't do that. I just say, well, I get so many, I'll try to address it on an e-person Monday. That's today. I'm hearing more and more young parents talk about something called 
gentle parenting. Now that 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 is not a particular group of behaviors or practices. It is more of a style. And as best I can tell, that's the new word for what has been on the scene for quite some time. Uh, It was in part responsible for my very first book written way back. You're a better parent than you think. Because I saw so many parents who would want, who were wanting, I was at the mental health center at the time, and I became the go-to guy for parenting, sort of by default, because a lot of the other therapists didn't want to do that. I was a rookie, so let's give the rookie the intakes we don't want, or that we think that he would better handle. And many parents were unsure of themselves, insecure, trying to do it all the right ways. I used to call it psychological correctness in a number of my books. That there is a psychologically correct way to handle every situation. And if you do it right, you're going to get the right outcome exactly as you want it. Well, this leads to a lot of second guessing. Along with that has become a a skewed view of what used to be considered healthy parenting authority by implication gentle parenting means you really don't have to assert your authority you talk to the child you reason with the child you elicit the child's feelings you use proper communication strategies You use I messages and not you messages. You say, I'm frustrated when you act that way, rather than you're frustrating when you frustrate me when you act that way. So there's all kinds of supposed gentle parenting techniques. And by implication, the goal is to avoid having to assert your authority, having to place a consequence upon the child. Now, lately... I've had a number of young parents say to me they have friends who practice this gentle parenting approach. And when their four-year-old is obnoxious, as four-year-olds are, they're four years old, come on, what do you expect? They get down on their haunches and they look the child in the eye and they explain why you do not punch Someone in the face? How would you like that happening to you? Can you go say you're sorry? Although in general parenting, I'm not sure they would allow you to say I'm sorry because that's forcing an apology on a kid. You're not supposed to force any feeling the kid doesn't have. These parents will say to me, "I, <laughs> their kids are obnoxious and I don't really like being around them. Gentle parenting is like anything else. If it works for you, great. If you got some sweet little five-year-old girl who all you have to do is say, please don't do that, and she cries, and she goes, and she sits on the steps, and she cries and says, I'm so sorry. Well, then you could be this supposed gentle parent. But there's an irony to this, and I've noticed this. When... 
gentle parenting is your only style. You really don't have authority. You just try to guide the child gently into proper behavior through teaching and instruction, which is nothing wrong with that. But you do have to back it up as a parent sometimes because they're kids. So when you try to do this and it doesn't work, which it doesn't a lot because kids are kids and they want to do what they want to do. And we grownups are lots of times very much in the way. Not going to reason a five-year-old into behaving well. Not most of the time. What happens is you become a very ungentle parent because you get frustrated. You get upset. And you start acting a little more nasty towards this kid. Yelling or arguing or nagging. And then sometimes you come to my office and say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like my seven-year-old. And I've tried so hard. I've been reading all these books on gentle parenting. And I have a master's. I have a master's in counseling. And, and I'm doing the things that we're supposed to do. And my, my seven-year-old son is just, he's getting worse. And, of course, the temptation is to think, well, it's not a problem with my technique. It's a problem with my son. Okay, this should work. Because the experts say that gentle parenting should work. He's not cooperating. So I'm wondering what it is about him. And in many cases, there's nothing at all wrong with him. He's a seven-year-old boy. And he can't 100% be reasoned and spoken and shared feelings and sticker systems and win-win scenarios into behaving well. He's seven. He wants to do what he wants to do. That's not pathological. That's seven. So, part of gentle parenting is to look down on authority. That if you have to assert your authority, if you have to tell that little seven-year-old, please go to the corner and don't come out, because if you do, I'll take these five privileges away. If you have to do that, it, it bespeaks of a failure in your gentle parenting. Somehow you're just not doing it right. But the irony is, again, another irony, if you have authority, not a yelling, screaming, arguing, dictatorial, autocratic, I'm the boss, punk, cliche, stereotype of authority, if you have quiet, calm authority, you mean what you say. You can be very gentle. You can be very, very gentle. Six of my kids we adopted at infancy, four we got later. Somebody asked my wife once when they were all under 12 at home. I, di- I didn't go home. I, I UPSed her things. I sent her a nice little letter. Honey, how's it going? How's things? Need me to send you anything? Okay, wishing you, wishing you good luck there. Well, it smelled. It kind of smelled. Somebody asked her once, what would you do if one of your kids refused their discipline? In other words, if you told them to sit down and write some sentences or you told them they need to go lay on their bed until you come up or you told them go sit on the couch, whatever it was, what would you do if they refused? And my wife was perplexed. She said, I really don't know. 
And the person who asked her said, what do you mean you don't know? How could you not know? And my wife said, well, part of it is it hasn't happened. Now, how could that be? How could that be? Because she taught them very early on, when I say thinking something, I'm going to mean it. I'm not going to repeat it 27 times. I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to do something about it. And once they became convinced that that's the way she was, she was very gentle. She was incredibly gentle. It is not ungentle to say, that was mean to do to your sister, go sit on the steps. How is that not gentle? So be careful about this gentle parenting thing because the implication is if you don't do this, you're not gentle. You're an authoritarian autocrat throwback. You mesozoic parent. This is Dr. Ray. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the doctors of the church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to setonhome.org. That is setonhome.org. This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. Much of the time, I would like to set something up on this program, would be totally inappropriate, that I get a percentage of the money that I save people by offering them options that they might not have considered. For example, the college kid who's totally messed up two semesters in a row and the parents are still thinking about paying for a third semester and we talk about why they might consider that. And as we talk, maybe they decide, well, we're not going to pay for a third semester. So I just saved them about 10, 12, 15 grand. 
I get a percentage of that, I would think, but no, it hasn't it hasn't happened. Well, in this particular e person, uh, <laughs> I'm going to cost her money. <laughs> Dr. Ray. I watch Living Right with Dr. Ray on EWTN. I'm watching it right now. Well, no, you're not. You're writing me an e-person. Pay attention to the program. I have a question about a problem with a cousin of mine. We were close since I was a kid. All right, stop right there. I got to stop right there. Relationships shift. And they shift often dramatically. People look back on the past and say, we were once so very, very close. Well, circumstances were different. Perhaps there weren't demands on your relationship. There weren't notable differences in your worldviews, your belief systems, in your states of life. All these things happen. I mean, I, I could say that at one point I was very close to the guys that I went to college with. Very much so. I lived with them for several years. And we had contacts. There's only two of them that I have any contact with left now, and that's once every two or three years. So the first thing you say is when you say you were very close with someone, but now you're experiencing problems in the relationship, that isn't necessarily unusual. But it is also saying, I want to I be back to close like we were. Okay, here we go. We share the same birthday, which is today. Well, it was back when this e-person was written. She is very wealthy. Much of it was inherited from my great uncle. She's helped me with some things, which I appreciate so much. A year ago, she gave me $1,500 for an online course. I have two degrees, but it's something else I wanted to do. After she gave me the money, I had an emergency, and I used the money for something else. I was afraid to tell her at first because she gets very angry, curses at me, etc. All right, hold on a second. The shrink in me asks, why does she react so strongly to you? What is going on? Does she feel that she's helped you financially before? And not only did you ask for help this time, but, but when she asked for her money back, you told her you didn't have it? What is going on? And again, I know this is just a, an e-person, so I, I can't ask this as if you called on the program. What is going on? that she would react this vehemently when you told her you spent the money. I mean, my guess would be this ain't the first time. Maybe I'm wrong. I was wrong once. 1991. And that was because I thought I was wrong, and it turned out that I wasn't. So, yeah, I guess I was wrong about being wrong. <clears throat> uh, let me go on with this. I did tell her about spending that money, and she refuses to forgive me. 
I told her that I'm deeply sorry, that I love her, and I asked her to forgive me. Now, you know where this is gone, folks. She doesn't even answer me. She did say that I deliberately lied to her, no matter what I say. Now, again, I don't know what was offered as the reason why the money is not paybackable. Made up word, it's neologism. After my grandmother died, I asked her for help with something for my grandmother, her aunt. And she didn't do it. Now, was that financial help? What kind of help was that? And I didn't stay mad, even though I was very hurt. I can't understand her refusal to forgive me. She knows my struggles. And she always brags about how rich she is. Okay, be careful here, writer. Because what you're saying is she has the money. I don't. So why wouldn't she help me? Well, because it sounds like she doesn't want to. For, her, for whatever the reason. Maybe she thinks you've asked one too many times. Maybe she thinks you people come after me just because you think I'm well off, so therefore I can support you. I don't know her reason. It may be that she doesn't agree with your way of looking at things. She knows my struggles. She always brags about how rich she is. That doesn't mean she had to give me anything, but I didn't mean to hurt her. What should I do? And here's the key line. I can't afford to give her back the money now, but maybe one day. If I were to guess, I'd really say that's what's ticking her off. If you want her (laughs) to begin to forgive you or to begin to feel some sense of connection with you again, the first thing you got to do is give her her money back. Now, if you say, there's no way, I, I'm barely, barely eking out with my finances now. Okay. Then commit. Can I, can I give you $50 a month? Can I do that? Dr. Ray, that's even too much. Something. To show her good faith. To show her that check, that cash, will be there on the first of every month. If you're saying she's not forgiving me, it's kind of of like saying she's not forgiving the debt. Now, if you say I can't understand why she won't, well, if she doesn't essentially follow the Christian principles that perhaps you both followed at one time and you've made an allusion to this woman's lifestyle, then I can understand why she feels, if I don't get the money, why should I forgive you? <laughs> forgive you for what? For, take, for taking my 1500 bucks? I gave a huge amount of money to someone that I thought was legit. Someone that I thought was going to do something helpful for others, business-wise. 
that person, in, in essence, took the money and ran. And that's happened to me a couple of times. <laughs> Ironically, the, the one time it happened, the guy called me up later and wanted to borrow more money. He's like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? How dumb do you think I am? But I told the guy, I said, if you could, if you could even just send $50 a month, you'll never pay off that debt as long as, as, long as I live at $50 a month. But still, it's a good faith gesture. That's what I would suggest, Ryder. Sixty on ten with Monsignor Charles Pope. The fifth commandment: You shall not kill. At the heart of this commandment is an absolute insistence on the sacredness of human life. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. So every human life is sacred because it's caught up in the mind and the heart and the will and the love of God. And no matter how we're conceived or any circumstances, God has always known and loved every human person. And for this reason, we are to hold sacred every human life. We are, therefore, to never murder, never kill, never seek vengeance. Of course, we have issues of abortion and euthanasia today, and we have so many ways where we in some way disrespect the lives of other human persons, and even our own life. We have to learn to respect it as a great gift from God. The Fifth Commandment, you shall not kill. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Who leads the church on its missionary path through history? The principal agent is the Holy Spirit, according to the Catholic Catechism. Urged on by the Spirit of Christ, the church must walk the path Christ trod, a way of poverty and obedience, service and self-sacrifice, even unto death. The blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians, says the Catechism. Throughout her history, the church has experienced the discrepancy between the message and some of the messengers. This is why she follows the way of the cross, a way of penance and renewal, to extend Christ's reign. The process of evangelizing involves bringing the gospel to ears that have never before heard it, establishing God's presence through Christian communities and eventually local churches. There will be times of defeat as the church touches individuals and communities only reached by degrees. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Wives, put the radio under your husband's pillow or the recliner when this program is on. We have preliminary data that indicates the number of yes deers per month will rise approximately 73%. Look it up. Nice to have you with me. This is Dr. Ray Grandy, the program. The doctor is in the variant E-Person Monday, where I was going to say where I tackle some of your E-Persons, but again, that's, oh, that's just rough language. I don't want to drift too close to toxic masculinity. So I'm going to stay with toxic sensitivity. Now, I don't like the way this E-Person started. Andrew Kruchek, as you talk about my overwhelming 
humility. Hello, Dr. Ray. From watching your show, she's referring to the TV show, I know how much you enjoy accolades. <laughs> okay, so I thought I would share. My husband of 42 years and I have had a rough couple of months. It began with a disagreement, which we both found out yesterday was remembered quite differently by each of us. Well, that happens. That certainly happens. Disagreements are usually a combination of misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and differing viewpoints. I'm reading your book, Simple Steps to a Stronger Marriage. Yesterday, I read Simple Step number nine. Make a list. What that step is, is I make the observation that in many marriages, we simply stop complimenting each other. We simply stop noticing what at one time we admired or we liked about our spouse. We got sloppy. We got lazy. Maybe there's no overt hostility in the relationship. It's just laziness. We don't say the nice, kind, complimentary words that perhaps we once said way back in the beginning of the relationship. We just don't. So make a list says what you do is you quietly, on your own, aside, write down all the things you can think of that you like about your spouse. And you don't say things like, well, you don't smell like a goat like you used to. No. You frame them positive. And you be specific. You don't say, well, I like when you're nice. (sighs) You got to define nice. I like when you listen to me and you know I'm just complaining. But you still hear me out. Or I like when my mother says things that you could easily retort. But you don't. Stuff like that. And it doesn't have to all be characteristic stuff. It can be, it can be I like how you keep yourself in shape. The yard outside is beautiful. You, you, could, you could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on in this list. You take as much time as you need, and you don't tell your spouse you're doing it until it's completed. Okay. She said, I read, simple step number nine, make a list. At first, I thought this was going to be difficult. But keep in mind... We have history. The things that I admire and appreciate and like about my husband kept just flowing. Number 27 was, I love you. For added effect, I put the list in a nice card. I presented it to my husband with the card. He was reluctant. Remember, we had been edgy with each other for two months. He opened the card, read it, set the card and the list down. I said, you need to read the list. He said he'd read it later. Now, I talk about that in the book. I talk about the resistance to the list. I took the list and read it out loud to him. Yeah, that would be my suggestion. You, you read the list. Don't do like I did. I wrote out the list of things I admired about me, and I gave it to my wife, and I told her just to sign it. 
Now that didn't, I don't know. I lost something in the translation there. My list nudged into a two-hour conversation. We went to church together. We went out for breakfast together. More conversation. We went grocery shopping. We came home and had more conversation. The culprit. Lack of not showing value and appreciation for the other. We are in a better place today because of simple step number nine. Yeah, why is it that we need to be forced to tell our spouse what we like about them? Now, in the book, I talk about all the resistances. I call them resistance rationales to why you don't do this. I said make a list, and then I listed several most common resistance rationales. And one of them is you're mad, you're hostile, uh, things have been going terrible, and all you can focus on is the negative stuff. And any positive stuff is either out of your mind or you don't want to do it because you don't want them to think, well, you're a, you're a nice person sometimes. You don't want them to think that. You want them to know just how unpleasant they've been. Well, I can't think of anything. Now, my response to that is, oh, come on. You've been living with somebody for 27 years and you can't put things that you admire and like about them? And I want to say, well, obviously at one time you did. Did they all go away? Everything? Not likely. What has happened is you allowed them to get pushed aside for reasons other than they don't exist anymore. Make a list is a definitive way of making you think. When was the last time you actually spent any amount of time thinking about good qualities, good attributes, good features, physically, emotionally, spiritually, behaviorally, about your spouse now if you got a good marriage this is only going to add to it if you normally compliment a lot anyway well this should be pretty easy to do and you don't have to expect the return list you can just simply say i want i want you to hear something that i wrote down wait till if you're with kids wait till the kids are out of the room or gone or on a trip to hawaii whatever And sit down, and it's just the two of you, and say, I decided that I really haven't told you enough times about so much that I like about you. And then do it. And then, if you've got an insensitive spouse, and he looks back at you and says, well, yeah, yeah, well, I I think the same, ditto. (laughs) Don't take it personal. Your goal is to say stuff you've neglected saying perhaps for a while either out of laziness or out of sourness dr ray
Can your messy house lead to anxiety? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians states that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If you walk in the door at home and you are greeted by clutter, peace may be hard to find. A messy house can lead to cognitive overload. While we're trying to concentrate on one thing, clutter can distract. According to research, women may be more affected by this type of anxiety. Societal roles and expectations can enhance the stress. To be fair, other underlying mental health disorders can lead to more clutter, depression, hoarding, and OCD, just to name a few. However, clutter can sometimes lead to more creativity. Bottom line, don't let a messy house define you as a good or bad person. Take baby steps to negotiate with those responsible for messes to make change or hire a cleaning person. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on clutter at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. The best way for the church to respond to this new woke religion is to actually begin to see it as religious. What they're offering is a new sense of believing, a new sense of belonging, and a new sense of behaving. They have new commandments uh, regarding tolerance and inclusivism and multiculturalism and egalitarianism. And what's remarkable about this is that the woke people seem to think that the Christian faith is a barrier. Look, Christianity has always taught that the gospel was a universal message. Christ died for all. All human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And we all have solidarity in the fact that we sin. And yet the church gets no credit for its great cultural achievements. Look, the church has already welcomed every nation, family, and tribe. We are the first universal people. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. On a scale of 1 to 10, how is your pain? Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Garandi, Program Doctors in, Monday through Friday. Good to have you with me. This is uh, E-Person, E-Person Monday, where I uh, select some of the emails that come in and uh, do what I can to offer a few thoughts in between the lines of the E-Person. I typically don't remember the context, the substance of the email. So it's kind of fun for me to start reading it and making comments about the first sentence or two or three in between the lines and see if, in fact, later on in the missive, oh, can't say missive, um, yes, ms-iv, if I anticipated it. My nephew is 31. He refuses to work. Or take care of himself. And would rather mooch. (laughs) Or be homeless. He suffered from anxiety. Insists that working enough hours per week. To earn enough to pay rent. Gives him anxiety attacks. There are a lot more people like this. 
in our culture. 50, 70 years ago, much, much less common. Much. Why is this happening now? Well, I don't have time to get into all the factors that could be at play. But let's just suffice it to say this is getting very common. He works 12 to 15 hours per week and buys pot with it, but will not care for himself. His other aunt, my sister, has tried to help him and ended up getting burned. Uh, probably means that the guy used the money and spent it. <laughs> Not what the ant gave it to him for. Now, both ants here are talking of helping him. But where's the parents? Have the parents said, we lived with him and we just simply couldn't tolerate his lack of cooperation anymore? I care for our elderly mother and do not have the means nor the inclination to help him. He was raised to understand that there is suffering in this world, but he seems to determine to avoid stress at any level. Well, yeah, in one sense, but no in another, because he's creating enormous stress upon himself by not acting responsibly. I mean, there is the laws of reality here. And he's on the streets, which is not a good place to be. And he's living day to day. And he sounds like, as you describe it, he's stoned much of the time. So he will be taken advantage of. He could be hurt. Uh, who knows exactly how he will end up. But what, what appears to be the case is that he just simply wants it that way. I'm concerned for his safety as he is homeless and not the sharpest tool in the shed. How much do we offer to help? Where do we set the boundary? Well, I would have to know to give you some thoughts what he's asking of you. Does he ask for money? Does he say, I don't have any money. I ran out of money. Because if he's burning it up on pot then clearly that's what he prefers to do, and he'll worry about food or whatever else later. There are plenty of social services you could refer him to. There are places I'm sure he knows where to get hot meals, maybe every day of the week, through a church or through some kind of agency. So he's probably aware of that. He is homeless, so I don't know exactly where he's residing. Is it an abandoned building? Is it in a tent? Is it simply on the street? I don't know. But if he wants to do that, and he wants you to help him do that, for me, I wouldn't, because obviously I would just be feeding into self-destructive behavior, risky behavior. So because of that, that's where I'd put a boundary. Now, if he calls you and he says, I'm miserable, I'm hurting, all kinds of stuff like that, then can you, can you say, I've got some places to refer you to? But if it happens that when you make these referrals, he doesn't follow through on any of them, that in fact, 
In fact, he will give you the message. I don't want the help that you want to give. I want what I want to continue to live in this very spiraling downward way. Dr. Ray. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. MyLifeAngels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed, including all legal documents to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. MyLifeAngels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. Too much time left on this E-Person Monday. Get to it right away quick. How do I deal with a sister who is cheating on her husband via an online Facebook ex-boyfriend? And her husband now wants my advice since he's read these Facebook messages. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Long story, Dr. Ray, but he's dealt with her cheating before with this guy. Both my sister and brother-in-law are practicing Catholics. I guess you got to define practicing. I can declare myself a Catholic. I can declare myself a devout Catholic. I can declare myself a practicing Catholic. Doesn't mean I'm practicing what the church teaches or I practice it as long as it doesn't become too inconvenient like keeping me from striking up a relationship with an ex-boyfriend while I'm married writer I'm not sure what you can say with your sister unless you're close enough to her to sit down with her and say what's going on I think you might be able to help your brother-in-law more 
I would imagine he's confronted her. I would imagine that he's trying to get some commitment from her to cut this relationship off. But she hadn't done it before. So you can ask him, what is your plan here? I mean, the church would not say you need to stay with someone who is on an, in an ongoing, ongoing adulterous relationship. They say you could separate. And hopefully this person will realize what they're doing and what they're giving up in the marriage and perhaps with the children and everything else. Although, you better check the legalities. Again, I don't know from state to state how it is viewed by a court if, quote-unquote, a spouse leaves, walks out. I don't know what that would do to potential future custody arrangements, so you might want to get some legal guidance on that. But I think the key is to talk to him, to find out what he wants to do about this and how he plans to approach his wife And does he intend to just endure it and hope she comes to her senses? Or is he saying, I've had enough. That's it. I'm done. And you can talk with him about the kids, too. What will that do to them? I've seen a lot of spouses persevere through something like this for the sake of the kids, which is, I think, quite heroic on their part. Try to give the kids some semblance of a home life assuming they don't know what their mom's doing. So, at this point, uh, I wouldn't shun your sister. Uh, if she doesn't want to talk to you about it, then you're going to have to take that as a uh, direction. Um, but in any way that you can, you keep up some kind of relationship with her so that if and when she wants to hear your opinion... You can give it to her. <clears throat> oh, boy. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Kathy. Okay, took care of that one. Take care of that. Got that one. <laughs> oh, boy, do I have to... Oh, that's a good one, too. I'm going to I'm gonna have to pass that one up. That's, that's a good one, and it uh, it has a number of levels to it. And with only three and a half minutes left in the program, i got to get a simple one. Dr. Ray, now this is, this is a follow-up to the email that I just did probably 20 minutes ago about the woman who owes her sister, her very wealthy sister, $1,500 and hasn't paid it back because she can't. I wanted to add to my message... If it were the other way around, which it would never be because I don't have those kind of finances, I would have said, don't worry, I understand, and I would give my cousin another 1500 bucks, <laughs> so she could still take the course. In other words, apparently what happened was she spent the money on something else other than the course, and she wants to take the course. Then she says, her sister, oh, cousin, sorry, has a stock portfolio, three houses, an entire apartment building in Manhattan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She works very hard, but she inherited most of it. I myself worry about buying groceries and my mom's medicines. But you can't forgive me. I'm so hurt. Well, as I said the first time around in the E-person, 
you probably would go some direction in getting forgiven if, in fact, <laughs> you told her, I'm going to start to pay you at least a little bit. Okay, that, that's that's all. Okay, I'm gonna have to pass that one for now. There's so many as I go through this phone, boy. <laughs> I need some advice, Doctor Ray, on how to become less of a jerk. <laughs> okay, that's very honest. I appreciate that. I have a certain in-law who just annoys me almost every time she interacts with him. Through no fault of his own, we just don't click despite many attempts, and I don't know if he even realizes we don't click. I I, I don't know the pronouns there. It kind of confused me there. Every time she interacts with him, hmm. there are so many things he does that really just lead me to want to make fun of him. Although I don't say anything to anyone outside my wife. I'm always polite, but I can't help but cringe when he talks. Well, as long as you haven't been nasty to him, you're a long way towards being decent about this. You're not being a jerk. In your head, you might be entertaining all kinds of jerky thoughts, but you haven't acted on them yet. He says, I know this is a me problem, but what can I do to change my frame of mind? Oh, that's pretty straightforward. You can't expect people to act like you want them to act. However he behaves, however he says things, whether he's a know-it-all or a bragger or a complainer, whatever it is about his personality you don't like, you can't, you can't change that. Are you going to go up to him and say, don't be that way. I really get upset when you're that way. You don't like, you don't want to know what I think. You can't, you can't do that. Your answers to others on your show always seem so obvious to me, and I can almost guess what you're going to say, but I guess I've got my blinders on. Oh, this is an interesting last line. I didn't know this was coming. He really is a sweet and pleasant guy. But I, and in capital letters, just don't like him. Well, I, I guess I would ask you, but what, what is it then you don't like? When you say, I just don't like him. If he's a sweet and pleasant guy, then what's... In your head, that is so annoying about him. You need to know what that is. And you need to tell yourself, I don't have a right to demand he be a certain way so I don't feel so bothered by him. Because that's what you're doing. You're demanding he be different. How can you do that? He is who he is. And one, you keep your thoughts to yourself, which is good. And two, apparently he's not obnoxious, which is good too. You probably just don't like something about his personality. Okay. This is Dr. Ray. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.